Welcome to the Fan Experience, a Phoenix Rising supporters podcast. Stick around for interviews, analysis, fan stories, and our love affair with Phoenix Rising. And now to kick things off is your host, Niall McCarthy. Phoenix Rising family, I'm so glad you joined us. We have so much great content and great guests for you today. I'm going to start out by giving you a code which was shared with me by the Union 602 supporters group. The code is B1228. Again, that's B1228. Use this code to book a staycation with other Phoenix Rising supporters at the Marriott Hotel at Wild Horse Pass which is next to the Phoenix Rising Stadium, conveniently. The code gets you a room discount, some complimentary drinks and other goodies. The dates are from July the 30th, that's a Friday, to August the 1st, which is a Sunday. These dates are not just random dates. The Saturday in between is our last home game in July when our boys take on Rio Grande Valley Toros, otherwise known as RGV, otherwise known as an excellent team who are number two in the Mountain Division, otherwise known as the team who beat New Mexico United and San Diego Loyal this season, and they're otherwise known as the team that last Saturday, July 17th, beat Orange County 2-1. No small achievement, especially as it was an away game for them. So. They're coming to play us at our stadium and it's a game to look forward to, especially if you're hanging out with other Phoenix Rising fans at the Marriott Hotel. The code once again is B1228. You'll be hearing that again later in the show when I talk to Sarah and Chris Blumberg who are here to tell you about the charitable and social events that they've been working on and are planning. In addition, we're going to talk about our 5-0 win over Los Dos. It was a very special night and we have a very special guest to help us with the roundup, Danny Arona. You'll remember Danny from the Sticks and Kicks podcast, which we loved before it faded away. You may also know him from Spanish-speaking media, particularly for his involvement with Noventa Mas Rising, which you might read as 90 Plus Rising on Twitter or Facebook. That's if your Spanish isn't as good as mine, and also, you might know him from his involvement with Arizona Deportiva, which I translate to Sporty Arizona. But if it doesn't, then your Spanish is much better than mine, and you know exactly how far I got trying to learn Spanish with the Duolingo app. Anyway, Kelly will join us for that segment, and she's also going to bring us up to date with the standings from all four divisions to ensure that if we ever play a team like, hmm, I don't know, or GV from the Mountain Division, you'll have an idea of what to expect. We'll wrap up the show with a preview of our next game, which is going to involve a large number of Phoenix Rising fans traveling to San Diego with the excuse that they're bringing their loved ones away for a weekend by the beach. But you and I know that it's all about the Rising game at Torero Stadium. All right, Phoenix Rising family, let's get rolling and let's hear what Danny and Kelly have to say about that game against Los Dos. Los Dos. Danny, welcome to the show. Tell us about what you're doing when you're not here talking to me and Kelly. Uh, well, usually, especially Sunday mornings after Phoenix Rising game, uh, getting everything ready, getting everything set for uh, recording on Monday with uh, Frecuencia Alterna and Arizona Deportiva. We, de we cover all things, you know, Arizona sports, and it was founded on the Phoenix Rising and done 100% in Spanish for them. Awesome. And you do that show with Rick? Uh, yes, Rick actually came on uh, this, this, for this season right now. Uh, he's, uh, he's currently, uh, you know, uh, he's on leave with some personal stuff going on right now, which we wish him the best for. Absolutely, Rick. We're thinking of you. We saw your communications, and we're definitely thinking about you and your family. Definitely, definitely. And, uh, but yeah, um, Rick, Rick has been a great addition to the teams, a lot of fun to be around. And, uh, yeah, so it's, it's definitely been a boost for us here. So on July the 17th, we took on Los Dos and it was a home game for Phoenix rising and an incredible win five nil. So Danny, let's, let's talk about overall thoughts of that game. After the final whistle, my first thought was that it shows how much of a superiority there is between the teams that was not highlighted the first time 
the first go around, especially with that uh, dust storm and the wind playing a huge factor in like breaking up our plays. The wind broke up more of our plays than the defenders did from Los Dos. And I think right now with clear skies and everything, there was a bit of humidity, but it showed that the tactics, the speed, the the strengths, and just overall coaching and play is vastly superior than those dos. It was like we were playing against a team in another league. Kelly, what are your thoughts? It was an exciting win, and I think we did what we set out to do, which was to prove handily that we are the better team. There were some things that I saw that I was excited about. First of all, I'm sure we'll get into this, but we had our original starting lineup back. This was an opportunity for them to prove that they want their spots back. We also saw just a clean, united team. I mean, the energy was there, the effort was there, the teamwork was there, you know, almost every goal, lots of people had their hands in it. The set pieces were improved and effective. The runs were improved, the finishes were improved. So we really took advantage of playing a young team and tightened up our game and it was exciting to watch. And I feel like we should all give a shout out to our captain, our MVP, Solomon Asante. What an incredible player he was to watch last night. What incredible influence he had on the goals. What an incredible influence he had on the overall game. How did you like seeing him play last night, Danny? Yeah, I mean, it's textbook um, Solomon Asante football. Uh, back to him, like the, I think the most important thing to see is that it's Highly cliche to say, but he is having fun out there. He knows what he's doing. He's attacking players. He's joking. He's dribbling. He is, you know, taking some chances and at the same time picking out the right spots. He's not just doing it completely recklessly. He knows where he needs to be and where he needs the ball to be. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely the catalyst for most of the goals that we saw last night. And Kelly, I know you were screaming every time he got on the ball. Absolutely. I I couldn't agree more with Danny. And I'd also say something I love about him besides what's been highlighted, which is, you know, his superior skill, his knowledge of where the players are in the field, his distribution. But it's also he doesn't quit. You know, that never ending aggression. He knows you can just keep getting the ball back, keep forcing your way towards the goal. And that's something you don't technically have to do when you're winning at such a high margin. You can quit. You can sit back. You can play possession. He doesn't. He just keeps fighting. And so I think that's what a captain should display. And he always does. He was very involved right from the get go. And on the 18th minute, he had a free kick. It was beautifully executed. He he beat the defenders, he beat the goalie, but he couldn't beat the crossbar. Okay, so we had to wait until the 30, 33rd minute before the first goal came. It was a set piece, a corner taken by Aidan Quinn, lofted it up, Lambert and Farrell came running in. Who knows whose head it hit, but uh, it hit off one of them and then it went to Musa and Musa took care of it 1-0. Your, your thoughts on that set piece, Danny? Uh, it was almost a sigh of relief from my end because set pieces, not that they've been a problem, but we've just not seen production from them. Most of our goals throughout the season come from free play, from free range, but set pieces have just not produced uh, for the way we would like them. We got big guys out there. We got tall guys. How can we not get heads on balls, you know? And uh, so that that was kind of put to bed last night. Uh, Musa did a great job. Post-game interview, we were there with him, and he said that uh, – uh, he was so happy that he was trusted by the coaches to be able to go up for, you know, corners and free kicks, you know, trying to trying to get on the ball, uh, which, you know, what he did. And yes, I just hope that this is something that Phoenix Wright can continue throughout the season because it's a very important part of the game. Kelly, over to you. For weeks, I've been saying the same thing, like, let's tighten up the set pieces, a.k.a. let's have some. These, This was so simple. I mean, especially our corner kick set pieces, we just lined up and then distributed randomly. I mean, maybe it wasn't random, but it's a simple, simple piece, but it was effective. So, yeah, and I think this also is a representation of something else we were seeing, which was our defenders joining the attack. You know, this has been happening since the beginning. It's been effective, but we saw even more of it. And we'll talk about that a little later with Flood and King, just like hammering up the sides. But, you know, it was great to see our defense as part of the attack. And they're tall, you know, like Danny said, let's take advantage. Yeah. And so around that time, the momentum was all Phoenix. We we saw some some beautiful play where Lambert passed to Quinn. Uh, Quinn had to work hard to, 
to get that pass. He stretched it out, got his foot to the ball, got it to Flood, who got it to Moore, who got it to Becaro, and Becaro just put his laces through the ball, but unfortunately it wasn't on target. My heart was pounding at that point. But again, it was around that time that the second goal actually did come. It was in the 40th minute. I think it started with an interception by Flood, who got the ball to Santi Moore, who got it to Dadishoff, who was on the edge of the 18-yard box. Dadishoff runs forward, beats two defenders, and instead of taking a shot, he sends it to the back post, where Solo arrived right on time to up the score to 2-0. Danny, what do you have to say about that? Right there, it just shows what we were talking about Solo, that he just doesn't give in, so he goes to the spot where he needed to be. And uh, just efficiency, that's how you don't need too much flashy, you don't need to put it in the corner every time, you don't need to rip the net, you don't need to do anything you know, too over the top. Just be where you're supposed to be and do the job you're supposed to do. Uh, you know, the simplest tactic is usually the best. And there it was. They produced the goal 2-0 and uh, definitely, you know, put Phoenix firmly in the driver's seat. So now we can play whatever game that we wanted to. Uh, and I just want to bring up because up to this point, even uh, before the first the first goal, I was behind the L.A. goalkeeper uh, for the entire first half. And, man, he took his sweet time. Every time he touched the ball, he they wanted to slow down Phoenix's game so bad that it would take sometimes 20, 30 seconds for him to get a goal kickoff. And uh, so so I think that kind of where it changed, like, all right, now L.A. can't afford to keep doing that, wasting time, things like that. So this firmly put Phoenix in the driver's seat. So true, Danny. We're firmly in the driver's seat at this point and definitely not taking our foot off the gas. We were close to half time, but there's still one more goal to come before the whistle. Our captain, Solomon Asante, is about 30 yards out, close to the sideline, and he receives a pass from midfield and executes a beautiful first-touch flick over a defender to Darnell King. Darnell controlled the ball and served it back to the feet of Solo, who's running furiously at three defenders. One of them tries to clear it to the sideline, but Asante blocks it, controls the ball, and fast as lightning delivers the ball to Dadishoff, who's in the box, and with a beautiful first touch, it's goal number three. Kelly, talk to me. Yeah, I mean, it was just great. You know, the goal number two that we were talking about, Dadishoff served up Asante, and <clears throat> excuse me, here was the reverse, you know. So it's really great to see how well they've been working together. We have a lead. Everyone could give up. And instead, Dadashoff was ready to receive. You know, the runs were timed well. And it shows not only the teamwork, but also just how alert we were. We wanted to score. We wanted to have a crazy goal differential, which we ended up with. So, you know, it just showed everyone sticking with it and really being hungry and the teamwork that we love to see from our front three. Yeah. We go into the tunnel 3-0 at halftime. We had 63% possession at that point, which, which is a little higher than what we're used to. We had 13 shots on goal, three goals. By comparison, LA had four shots on goal and obviously none of them went in. So second half, we're looking forward to more of the same. Danny, what did you notice about Los Dos in the second half? Physicality, definitely physicality when they came out. Like uh, it was, it was kind of like the, you know, neighborhood Sunday league ball where like, okay, if we're not going to beat you on the score sheet, we're going to beat you, you know, physically. Uh, they, they, you know, getting their foot in front of a defender's legs. Santi got thrown around like a rag doll throughout the entire second half. Uh, he was, he was just getting bodied all around and, um, you know, it just kept getting right back up, but definitely the physicality that the players from Los Dos, uh, they showed pride. They showed that they cared that they were getting beaten three zero. Uh, that they that they wanted to get back in the game, and if it meant having to push uh, Phoenix around to try to get the ball, then I mean that's how it was. Uh, fouls uh, were 18 fouls to 10 fouls. I mean they were definitely the more physical team. Part of that physicality that they showed, it was more the desperation. It was really, you know, they wanted to play a new game in the second half, and they also. You know, I think one of the commentators mentioned like, whoa, the median age of their team at that point was like 19 or 20. You know, they made some substitutions of their young team to an even younger team. So it was an opportunity for them to do whatever they can to give some players some minutes um, to put a healthy, strong, young, vibrant team on the field. And they did. And I mean, that's to their credit. And it's an advantage for them. You know, they can play really physical and then they can get up and do it again. <laughs> you know, so I I'd say 
really, you guys really reflected the main changes that I saw, but I do tip my hat to them for sure, because they never, yes, they got physical. Yes, they got some penalties. Any one of us would have done the same, but they didn't play dirty. You know, they really just played like they wanted to get on that score sheet and they wanted to win the second half and they gave it their best effort. They really did. They were high pressing. They were keeping possession. They were attacking. They didn't just come out and, and park the bus. They were shooting, they were getting frustrated, there were hard tackles, which we expected. They weren't able to stop us getting two goals in that second half. The first one was in the 78th minute, and that was Egbo's diving header. Came from the right side of the pitch, Rodriguez passed it out to Asante. Asante gestured with his hand for someone to get ready for a pass that was closer to the box. And he sent it in uh, to David Egbo, who was there to, to meet it with a diving header, goal number four. Kelly, what were your thoughts on that goal? So obviously the actual goal going into the net was gorgeous. I mean, it was a header and his head was somewhere else. And he managed while being in the air to get his head back. I mean, it was just like, you know, part gymnastics, watch out Olympics. So it was amazing. (laughs) And I think two things I would like to mention about that goal. One is just, you know, Dadashov came out took that starting spot and he played really well. You know, he did his game and it was awesome. And then Egbo comes in and he's just not intimidated to be like, oh, you got one goal, watch out, I'll get two. You know, so I'm impressed with him. And, you know, that's what it takes to be a professional footballer is confidence, is aggression and saying, I'm the best. So that was beautiful. But for me, the thing that stands out about this goal, even more so than that beautiful um athletic move of his is actually Rodriguez. And we, I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. He does a couple of things that I love and it was displayed here. He made that play happen. It would never happened without him. He came to the ball. He made the gorgeous half turn. And then he made a run that distracted the defenders and that left Egbo available. Um, So I really think, you know, if you watch those highlights again, watch Rodriguez because his movement off the ball made that happen. I mean, not to mention Asante's beautiful pass. I hope somebody with a really nice camera got a really good shot of Egbo's diving header there. Me too. Yeah, I think I would like to put that on my bedroom wall. Yeah, and then Photoshop my face (laughs) on it or something. (laughs) I'd like credit. All right, Danny, let's talk about Egbo's next goal. It was in the 90th minute. Um, It was one of our defenders cleared it. I'm I'm not sure who. Uh, The ball got out to Asante, who was in the midfield. Beautiful flick on to Egbo. Um, who took care of it from there. But it was it was that genius flick from Asante. And then he got taken to the ground by Vasquez. And, and you mentioned being thrown around by a rag doll. And if you want to see exactly what we're talking about, take a look at that highlight in the 90th minute where it was just a body check and thrown to the ground by Vasquez. It was, it was not pretty to look at. But let's talk about the goal. Um, so proud of Egbo for taking care of that. Danny, your thoughts on that 90-minute goal? 100% you nailed it, The uh, that flick from Asante to put him in position. That right there was, I would dare to say, 85, 90% of the goal, leaving them 1v1 against the uh, against the goalkeeper. And uh, the, the thing about it is that it was what, that one time, it was that flick. Usually, if you see other plays like this where it's a clean breakaway, you'll see the guy who's going to set him up, stop the ball, lift his head, and, you know, take that extra second. Just that second will let the defender know where to go to cut off the pass where it's going to Asante did not give him that chance once he saw he knew where uh his player was he knew where he needed the ball to be and that one simple flick got him and what can you say about Egbo cool calm collected all the pressure of all the people screaming what they're expecting and especially after seeing a couple weeks ago what Santi did 1v1 like all right now I got to do something better through the five hole went around and then just like waited, let the crowd soak it in and uh, put it right in front and then just rip the net f- with that kick inside. It was absolutely uh, beautiful to watch. Uh, I mean, I saw it firsthand. I was right in front of the play when it happened and it just, uh, it, it, it was it was magical. That was a magical play. Absolutely. I skipped over something that happened in the 88th minute and that was there was an altercation resulting in two yellows, one for Los Dos player and one for Darnell King. And it seemed afterwards that Darnell King was getting a lecture from the ref about his play. But I've got it on good authority 
that Darnell and the ref were actually talking about the Britney Spears conservatorship. And that conversation <laughs> went on after the final whistle too, because I don't know what you're going to lecture Darnell King about. He's a professional. He's 30 years old. And my God, he it went on just for a while. not let us down. I know, I know. They had a lot to talk about. Danny, the humidity was, was bad there last night. And um, yes, I could imagine that those guys were feeling sluggish. Um, even though, you know, we weren't playing in full sun by any stretch, it was still hard for everybody on, on the field. So, so kudos to everybody who uh, togged out and, and played the 90 minutes last night. Um, Judd on their side, who's their, their forward, he's got a lot of goals in the season. He was excellent last night, but he just was unable to finish. We do want to give kudos to Los Dos, and I just particularly want to, to pick out Judd. Was there anybody else on the team that, that you guys want to give a shout out to? Yes, yes, Bawa. Yeah. He is amazing. Um, and I noticed him last game too. And I almost get emotional because you try that hard. You're that good. You're working that hard. You really want to see results, not against Phoenix rising. Come on now, but uh, <laughs> you know, definitely props to him and the rest of the team, you know, they got a little chippy, but so did we, you know, it's hard. It's hard to be in our stadium. It's hard to lose like that, but and they're young, you know, they've got one way to go and that's up. So yeah. definitely I'm with you props to the whole team for their professionalism, for trying so hard and for having some great chances. You know, they, they made some things happen. And Harvey came down from um, LA Galaxy and he played well last night as well. Uh, Danny, did you want to comment on, on any of the Los Dos players? Uh, I think, uh, I believe it was Vasquez from the, from the right. defense, the not captain. so much for his, for his like great play, but because he was doing his thing to get in the mind of Santi more. Like he knows how dangerous Santi is and he knows how short of a few Santi has. So when Santi's focused on those personal rivalries of you found me, I'm going to get you back and I'm going to play you. Like he was more focused on doing that than actually scoring a goal, in my opinion. And uh, that's something that Santi more definitely needs to work on. But uh, Vasquez knew that weakness and he exploited it. He went out, he was talking to him the entire game. He, they were both chipping back and forth, like all this stuff just to get into his head. And uh, it, it kind of worked because I saw, especially in the second half, Santi go 1v1 a lot more than actually finding the pass and finding different goals. Like obviously it didn't fully work on the score sheet, but I think uh, Santi could have played a different game if he wasn't so focused just on uh, getting, getting back at Vasquez. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, let's move on to the lineup. Um, there, there were... I'm not going to say any surprises in the lineup last night, but we did see Flood make a return. We saw Farrell instead of Adewale. And of course, we saw Dadashoff. Um, you know, Egbo's taken over the last few weeks, but Dadashoff is back. So um, were you surprised in, in that lineup, Kelly? I just want to mention we also saw Becaro in for course. Rodriguez yeah. and then also Lunt you know, right, came in for Rawls, right, who's been right. playing. So that's kind of five changes. I wasn't surprised, you know, I think, and this is no disrespect to those players, but I think the, 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 the thought process was we're at home, we're playing a team that we've beat the last 11 times we've played them. So we know it's going to be a good game for Phoenix Rising. So let's give these traditionally first string players a chance, you know, to show what they've been working on since they lost their spots. Um, and I was really happy about it, you know, and it also, I think any other team would be like, oh, that's your like second string now, you know, like basically every position we have two first string players. So you just can't complain in the lineup. Let's stick with our defensive formation there. We had Lunt, as you said, in goal. King and Flood in the corners. We had Farrell and Musa in our, uh, as our center backs. So with that defensive lineup, how did they do overall as a team? Danny, let's go to you. Uh, the clean sheet, I think, speaks for itself. Um, the, the, the players, they were engaged. They knew their assignments. And uh, they they fully stopped everything that was that was heading their way. Uh, the defensive the Phoenix Rising is known for their attacking defenders. Uh, the center backs go up on uh, free kicks and corners, and the the corners go like as wingers. They they fly up every every time. Darnell has shown that uh, throughout throughout these years that he's been here. And uh, Flood has brought back that spark to left back position that we have not seen since uh, Amadou Dia left the team. 
So uh, it's so having th that those two um, those two defenders in the corners that can both go up at any time, it makes an opposing coach kind of you know second guessing. We can't put two guys on Darnell because he we know he's going to go up because the now the other side is going to be we got two guys attacking us from both sides, and that's just such a blessing to have as a team. Uh, I think I, I like the substitution. Joy Farrell over um, Adewale. I, I think Adewale has just not been in good form in the last few games. A couple of mistakes, like he, he could have really good games and then two, three mistakes that really cost the team. Uh, so I, I think that was a good substitution. Joey, you know what you're getting with Joey, 150% every single time. So uh, I, I definitely love this defensive set that Rick put up on the field last night. Absolutely. And with Flood and King, I love to see them attack and I can't wait. It's going to be a happy day when they get on the scoreboard for me. In the center of the park, we had Lambert, Beccaro and Quinn. Kelly, how did they do in the center? I just want to say really quickly, it's true, you know, Flood and King are going up so aggressively. And I just want to mention two things. One is just you can't do that unless you're in incredible shape because you do have to track back. You are the defender. Um, and, and they're just really fit. I mean, you could just tell by looking at them. I'm like, are you guys like lifting weights at halftime? Like they just look, <laughs> they look great and they're up for it and, and they deserve credit. But also as a result of that additional movement and their additional movement forward, um, Lambert had to track back and he helped a lot with defense as part of the back line. Um, but that kind of parlays into discussing the midfield much like last game. I thought Quinn was amazing. Um, he was really incredible. His distribution was great. His attack was great. Um, oh, and Beccaro, also awesome. Yeah, I thought Beccaro played really well. He did what he does best, and he really supports, you know, the front line. Um, and his distribution also looked great. So uh, no complaints. I thought they did give away a couple of sloppy turnovers, but for me, it's forgiven because they joined the attack. You know, shots were coming from the midfield, especially in that first 20 minutes. I think the commentator called it a breathless 20 minutes. I mean, they weren't letting up. And that's something I wanted to see. You know, let's not just attack from the front line, although their efficiency was great as well. I think Kelly just nailed it with the midfield. Exactly. My thoughts exactly with, with those those three guys helping out both uh, defensively and offensively, uh, especially Baccaro. We we know what Baccaro brings to his team, what he's brought to his team, and losing that starting position, I'm sure, really hurt him, but I'm sure it also motivated him, and it showed last night that he wanted to get back into that starting 11, and uh, I think he's he's definitely on the right path to uh, possibly starting again next week. And uh, But, yeah, moving on to the forwards, the biggest uh, change that I saw, both in lineups and in just – competition overall was Dadashov. Uh, we known him as kind of a false nine is the way I always describe him because he's not always in the middle, in the in the small box, trying to get his head on the corner because he's he's a guy that gets the ball, protects it, he uses his body and strength and then distributes it either out to Moar or uh, Sante to, to the wings to try to get a center back or uh, gets it back to the midfield in order to keep possession. I think last night he went above that and pressured the defense like, like almost like a full court press. The the as a goal kick goal kicks we mentioned that they were taking an eternity to get them off every time. But as soon as the goalie touched the uh, touched the ball, Dadashov was right there pressuring the defense because of that pressure. Whenever they would pass it back to the goalie, uh, the, he kicked it out of bounds like sixty percent of the time. He could not get a good shot off to his defenders or his midfielders because Dadashov was there ever present trying to get that steal. So that, in my opinion, made a huge difference. And it shows that he also wants to get his starting position back. Great. So kudos to Dadashov. Um, we've talked about Asante. What about Moore? How did Moore do last night, Kelly? Darn it. I wanted to talk about Dadashov. Go for it. <laughs> I just want to, I want to underscore what Danny said. I totally agree. And, and also, you know, he's playing for his starting rollback. So how much does he want a goal? It's got to be an incredible amount, but his, you know, his first opportunity, he gives it, he, he passes it over to Asante, which was the smarter, easier, you know, as Danny called it earlier, like the most efficient play. And I just thought that said a lot about him. Like he had to be dying to prove people wrong and get that goal. He probably could have done it himself, but he passed it. That selflessness is what we've been seeing. And it's why we're scoring so many goals. 
So definitely hats off to him. And then I think Danny really kind of summed it up as well. You know, he, he put words to it that I didn't have in regards to Moar, you know, they kind of shut him down. And I think it's possible that it was his frustration that contributed to that. Um, and that's easy, you know, that's, that's easy to have happen when you get into a one-on-one battle with someone. And then that becomes the focus of the game, you know, Looking back, I can really see what Danny's saying there. So, you know, possibly that's it. Possibly it's also just that teams are really knowing how dangerous he is and covering him more tightly, which frees up the other players. So either way, you know, he's serving his role certainly there. And uh, I want to just double back a little bit to, uh, I believe it was the third goal where Asante gets it after two uh, data shop. And uh, you had mentioned that, Asante blocks the ball from going out of bounds and kind of revives that play. Uh, I was at that play happened like two yards away from me. And it was actually the two LA defenders that were trying to one, try to like throw a uh, kick it back upfield. It ricocheted between the two of them. And both of them just kind of looked at each other like what now? And Asante just went right in between to steal the ball. So it wasn't so much that he blocked it, but it was just that presence of mind fully engaged the entire time. Most players, once they lose the ball, Especially if you're a forward, once the defender has it back, all right, I did my part. Let's wait for next play. No, Asante did not do that. He saw an opportunity where the ball got left in the middle. All right, I'll take it. I'll give it to my guy. 3-0. Let's go celebrate. Yeah, that was Chef's kiss. one of the huge. What's that, Kelly? Chef's kiss. <laughs> <laughs> that was definitely one of, the, one of the highlights for me, just seeing Asante's movements right there. That and uh, the diving header from Egbo. Guys, we're not done talking about the, the the team on the pitch last night. There was Billingsley who came in at the 72nd minute. Egbo came in um, to re- replace Dadashoff. Kalistra was in for Moore and Rodriguez was in for Becquero. So how did our subs do? And of course, we've talked about Egbo already. So huge kudos to him. But let's let's focus on the other Three, Billingsley, Calistri, and Rodriguez. I'm going to go ahead and just uh, start with Arturo. That uh, after Arturo came in, we saw this way back in the preseason. Get him on the ball, and he will show you magic. He loves the game of football, and it's like watching a kid in his backyard trying everything to juke, to pass, to, to, to make it stylish, and that just makes it for more attractive football to see, uh, but without losing too much effectivity. Like, you don't see him lose too many balls. Sure, he, he'll do what one too many every now and then. But uh, at that point of the game, you know, you can kind of afford it and kind of keep the fans engaged, keep the fans happy. And, uh, yeah, his energy really bringing up uh, everything that, uh, that the starting 11 had already set up. Him coming in along with, with everyone else that did kind of just, like, smooth things over. And uh, for Kalistri, just one thing I, d- I just think is, like, Let's get Santi out of here before something bad happens. Because yeah. uh, he he gave his all 100%. Uh, Santi Moore did Santi Moore things, but let's 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 get you off before you know an unspeakable happens. Yeah, absolutely. Kelly, your thoughts? You know, the other two subs, Billingsley and Kalistri, also just helped to represent the depth that we have. I'm pretty sure Billingsley came in for flood, but actually took King's position and then King crossed over to left, which is cool to see, you know, King's flexibility to be able to play on the other side, um, to give Billingsley a chance to play on the right side, uh, keep people guessing. Um, he, You could see it, it seemed a little less natural for Billingsley, but he really did move forward and try and continue to participate in the attack. Um, and uh, in terms of Kalistri, you know, not a lot resulted necessarily from him, but as I think Rick Chance mentioned, he can play any position. So we call him a super sub because he comes on, he pulls a clutch Kalistri, he scores goals, he changes the pace, but he also is a super sub because he can sub in for almost anyone. And that is amazing to have. I mean, that's invaluable. So great additions. You got that right, Kelly. All right, guys, that's it. Any, any closing comments on our game last night? I think for me, it was just what we needed especially after at halftime uh, they showed the final few minutes of the Phoenix Suns game, a complete heartbreaker for us here in the Valley. Uh, Definitely put Phoenix Suns on there, you know, up against the wall. Um, It's not over yet. And I'm going on record that we are going to seven games. Series is coming back to Phoenix. Uh, But, uh, but yeah, those, this score line is exactly what we needed to get our minds off that. So 
Thank you, Phoenix Rising. Thank you, Phoenix Rising. <laughs> Kelly, closing thoughts. You know, I just think we need to be really strong on the road. Um, in San Diego is a tough place to do it. So I think that will be the last piece of this puzzle, of this complete team, is being a dominant force on the road against a team that we've struggled against. So Danny said it perfectly. You know, this was the confidence boost that we needed. And it's the proof that we are, you know, a full, complete team that loves playing together. Let's take it on the road. Absolutely. Kelly, I love talking with you about football. Danny, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on i love chatting with you and hopefully you'll come back again and whenever you guys want thank you for the invitation this was fun yeah it was thank great you. thank you guys thanks for having me hi everyone this is brandon keniston goalkeeper with phoenix rising and you're listening to the fan experience Phoenix Rising family, we've got Sarah and Chris Blomberg on the show with us today. They're from Union 602 and they're here to bring us up to speed on what they've been doing and some things that they have planned for the supporters group. So Sarah and Chris, welcome. And Sarah, you want to start us off and tell us about things that you've been doing so far this season? Yes, absolutely. So with Union 602, the charity work is a really big part for us. So I'm just going to go over some of the charity events that we've done from April until now. So one of our first things that we did was we did a canned food uh, drive for the United Food Bank. And we actually were able to gather 355 pounds of food. Oh my God. So yeah, it was a lot. (laughs) And you know, that's credit to the fans. Everybody just, we put an announcement and people brought stuff in and it was amazing. So that's, that's a huge haul. I remember, you know, bringing a few cans and and leaving them just um, not at the supporters entrance, but at the other entrance there, Mm -hmm. but it didn't look like it was a huge amount. So obviously later on, a lot of people showed up and contributed. So that's so cool. Yeah, they did. And you know, it's a couple of people bringing a couple of cans and they really add, it just adds up, right? The small numbers just really add up to large, generous donations. So amazing. It's awesome. yeah. 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 So uh, the other thing that we did is we made our one of a kind, Todd made the one in 10 shirts for Union 602 for our Pride Month for June. Um, so you probably saw those around. They were the ones with the rainbows on them. They're Beautiful, beautiful they were. shirts. They were oh beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. We love them. So we were able to donate $1,100 from the sales of those shirts to one in 10. So that was amazing. Again, a huge number. <laughs> yeah. Just from, again, you know, just a small number of people coming together and doing awesome things. So that was really wow. cool. So yeah. that, that was for the, the month of, of June, um, Pride yes. Month. And mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about one in 10 organization. So one in 10, I actually heard about one in 10 from one of my students um, who is part of the LGBTQ plus community. And she needed a support system when she came out. Um, Her family didn't know what to do. Um, And so she reached out to one in 10 and did a camp with them. And so what they do is they help, they help the youth of the LGBTQ plus community, you know, give them a place to feel safe, to feel loved and make them feel welcome. It's a really, really cool organization. I don't think I'm doing justice to the organization, but um, when my student went, she went to a camp and she came back just a completely different person. It was amazing, so. And and you're talking, you're not dealing with adult students, right? This was a child. No, this is a high schooler. High school, sorry, okay, okay, gotcha. Yeah, Yeah. Okay, well, it's, you don't have firsthand experience, but secondhand experience with it and a good good outcome there. So fantastic. Yeah. Okay, yeah. good. Yeah. So you've talked to us about the food drive. You've talked to us about the t-shirts and raising money for one in 10. What else have you guys been up to? With the Banditos, we did the Pride Raiser. So everyone donated for all the goals that we made in June. And so we raised over $2,300 for that as well. I'm so. so proud of us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know, right? We are amazing. I don't know if we're allowed to swear on here, but we're pretty badass. So, <laughs> so yeah, that was awesome. And again, that's, you know, everybody and us being able to work with Banditos and that amazing partnership. It's been wonderful. I love so it so great. much. 
Yeah. Sarah, with all that money that you guys brought in for Pride Razor, who did it actually go to? So that actually went to a group called the Trans Queer Pueblo. And they are an organization that supports the migrant LGBTQ plus community. So not only are they, you know, facing their um, transphobia, homophobia, and other types of discrimination, right? They're also migrants. And so they need a lot of support in in our community. Yeah, for sure. And how did you guys connect with them? So that's actually from the Banditos. So Banditos decided um, where to send those funds. And we obviously supported that as well. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And then, so, and then the last thing, and we actually finally got to have our first in-person charity event and get everybody together. And so we had people from Banditos, from Union 602, and just fans uh, come out to Feed My Starving Children, which is an organization in Mesa. I don't know if you've heard of it or not, but what they do is they pack boxes of food to send to children who need them across the globe. It could go anywhere. We don't know where our food has gone yet. They said most likely Thailand um, to help the children there. So, oh my gosh. I, I'm, yeah. I wasn't aware of it until I saw you guys, you know, tweet out about it. So, oh yeah, yeah. sorry. I'll promote it more next time. <laughs> no, no, it's good. It's good. So that's fantastic. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, we had 21 people show up. We packed 70 boxes, which is 15,120 mils. So the equivalent of donating $3,600, we were able to put together in two hours, I guess, is what each session is. So Amazing. yeah. Amazing. It's been really wonderful. And how how did you connect with that group? Um, I've gone there before. So I've taken some groups before to feed my starving children. And so I had heard of it and just knew that it was a really cool organization that helps a lot of people. So (laughs) love it. Besides the the charitable arm, you guys have been doing the tailgate-ish event, right? Yes. Yes, we have. Yes. And that's super fun. I want to pass this over to Chris and Chris can fill us in on that and tell us about other things that are going on. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Chris. Him and his crush on Lubin. We can talk about that too. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Chris. Chris, take it away. First of all, I just, I really am am interested to know how tailgate-ish is working out and if you've got plans to continue, if it's going to be for every home game, that kind of thing. Yeah, so the tailgate-ish event uh, right across the street from the stadium at Rawhide. Uh, it's been a great partnership with us and, and Banditos. Uh, we get a lot of people out there and new people every single time coming out, just general fans who are looking for a place for affordable food, uh, great beer, and, and just a lot of fun. It seems like every time uh, we have a home game, we get more and more people, despite the heat, despite the, the temperatures going up outside. It's a, it's They have an indoor area where you can kind of sit, socialize, meet new people. I think I meet meet. A new person if not more more than one new person every single time we go there so it's a great social event yeah great way to build community so you said it's it's indoors is it air conditioned there's an indoor air conditioned area and then there's an outdoor patio uh which at the beginning of the season when it was still nice out was fun uh it's fantastic out there and as it cools back down uh hopefully sooner than later uh it will get back to that patio as well but it's, exactly. it's really good yeah, great concept. I love the name tailgate-ish. I hadn't heard that before. So we are you planning that for every home game or one a month or how's that going to work? Yeah, I think it's every home game. I, we're hoping that it continues to be an event and then more people who show up are just going to cement that uh, and, and allow the team and allow Rawhide to keep that open. And uh, a couple weeks ago, we even had Four Peaks out there who had their, uh, were promoting their pride beer uh, and, and were giving out uh, discounted beers, which was great. Always yeah. like to have the discount on the beer and, and some swag. It was a lot of fun. Awesome. So somebody who's interested in in going to this, what time does it start? And um, do you guys miss the start of the match? Like just, you know, cue us in on that. Yeah, no. It, so it starts at 4.30 uh, and you can show up anywhere between 4.30 and 6. It ends at 6. Uh, and then we get the trolley. The team has provided several trolleys to make sure that everybody has a time to uh, has the time to get back. And we're actually there well, well ahead of the game. We're there typically when the gates open, so we still have time to go in. Uh, if we didn't eat the food there, we can, but we can participate in all the team activities uh, that go along as well as welcoming the team to the field. We've already done so much. We've only been, Union 602 has only been in existence 
since uh, end of March, beginning of April, uh, and, and really have taken some strides towards helping the community and, and merging partnerships. Uh, couldn't have done it without Bandito support. I think those guys are awesome. The energy they drive in the stadium as well as outside the stadium uh, towards the community is great and, and allows us to play off of their energy uh, as well as add our own. And we got some... Uh, we got some fun events coming up here uh, in the next couple months. Uh, so coming up just as a gathering uh, before we do anything else, this is not necessarily specific to uh, any sort of donation, but we're actually having a staycation right across the street from the stadium at the Marriott. Uh, and so with that, you, fans can actually get a discount uh, by utilizing the code, uh, which I can give you here, or we can we'll also be sharing it on our social media. Uh, but you'll be able to get uh, discounts on uh, on room rates. Uh, you're also going to get uh, some swag when you show up. You get a, a specific rally towel. Uh, you get a couple of drinks. Uh, you get some uh, non-alcoholic concessions in the game, uh, as well as a, you'll be able to get a lift from uh, the resort there at the Marriott over to the stadium. So as we get towards the end of July, kids getting back into school, uh, some some teachers getting ready to go back into school. So it's a nice way for for us to kind of get together one last time before things get crazy with work, hang out with each other, get ready for the game and hopefully do some, some really good relaxing. I love it. So what are the dates again, Chris? Yeah. So that's going to be July 30th through August 1st uh, for that, that uh, last home game in July. Great. And the code, do you have that code handy if somebody wants to pick up the phone or get online and do that right now? I do have the code. Uh, give me one second. I apologize. I skipped screens, no uh, but it's important to use that code because that's how you get the discount. The code is B1228. Okay. And that's for the Marriott Hotel at Wild Horse Pass. Correct. The Marriott Hotel. Fantastic. Okay. So great. What else is coming up, Chris? Yeah, then we're going to get into August, and that's where we're really hoping uh, we actually have an event that's coming together. It's currently still in the planning stages, but we'll definitely uh, be going forward where we'll be collecting school supplies. Uh, we're hoping to support the Papa's Kids Foundation, which is a, a school for uh, homeless or, or low-income families as well as troubled troubled or at-risk at youth. Uh, so we're in, in current conversation with those guys to set up an event uh the team is actually going to we're hoping to use them as a supporters night as well so we can get the team involved but we'll be collecting school supplies outside of the stadium uh to deliver over to to papa's kids foundation uh in middle of august that's going to be on the august 14th game home home game it's such a great charity so it's an important key staple in this community to serve that section of individuals that really need the most help you guys are being busy yeah. Yeah. And then uh, our next event would also be uh, in September. Uh, we're actually partnering with Simple Machine Brewing. Uh, they're in North Phoenix area. Uh, they're actually crafting a beer for us. Uh, it's Copper Ale and it's called For the Kids. Uh, and they're going to help us donate their proceeds to Children's Cancer Network. It's in Chandler. Uh, so everyone loves beer. Uh, and so we're hoping to take everyone's love of beer and, and turn it into, into a really good cause. Amazing. Who comes up with this stuff? Yeah, that's that's going to be our talented <laughs> group of leaders that, that continue as well as our, our active members that continue to tell us what's important to them uh, and what's important to the community. And that's kind of how we should pick and choose how we can support the community and ensure that we're, we're hitting the areas that are the most hard hit. Yeah, fantastic. Wow. So is that it, Chris, or do you have more? That is all we have planned. Okay. Uh, I can guarantee you that won't be the end. Uh, we do have some conversations going on for stuff in October, uh, but nothing that's concrete yet enough to discuss. Okay, gotcha. Well, Union 602 has been absolutely amazing. I didn't realize, you know, all I knew about the events and I participated, but I, I didn't know, you know, the volume of food that you guys gathered and mm -hmm. the dollar values that Sarah was mentioning as well. But in addition to that, you guys are a presence in the Phoenix Rising family in a big way now. You guys are always on Twitter and very supportive of the team. And it just looks like you're solid. You came out of the gate fast and just built something really cool really quickly. So kudos to you and, and to Sarah and to, every, to everybody involved in Union 602, Chris. 
Yeah, we appreciate that. And and we've recently got our, our 501c3. Uh, so we're actually an official nonprofit organization. Uh, and so the reason I like to mention that is, is because it means that the donations that people make both to uh, our the ones I mentioned and, and future uh, events that we host are available for tax write-offs. So, so individuals can donate to us and, and utilize that, that to get tax write-offs uh, in the future. Amazing. You guys are working hard on this. So if somebody wants to join you, what is the process, Chris? Yeah, so we actually have no membership fees. Uh, we're really just a group of individuals that like to work and like to support the community. So if you want to join us, uh, reach out to us on social media. Uh, we do the majority of our communication either through social media, but we also have a really cool Slack group uh, where people can have conversations both about the game, uh, share their feelings about the game, but also help us plan. And that's where we really send out a lot of the reminders uh, as well as the information and, and donation events for uh, within Union 602. Amazing. Well, we really appreciate everything that you're doing. And thank you so much to you and to Sarah for coming on to fill us in with everything that's going on with you. Thank you so much, Chris. And thank you, Sarah. Yep. Thank you. This is Kelly McCarthy here to bring you the USL Championship League standings after week 13, which wrapped on Sunday, July 18th. Spoiler alert, Phoenix Rising is now tied for first place in the conference with 26 points after 12 matches. As you'll discover, we're not tied with the team you might expect, so listen on for the division leaders, game highlights, and colorful commentary. There's great news all across the conference, starting with the Atlantic Division, where those wiry rowdies suffered two losses in Week 13. Their first loss of the week was to Hartford Athletic, who beat them in the Rowdies' beautiful home stadium on Tuesday, July 13th. And then they lost on the road to Miami FC, their in-state rivals. This is the second time Miami has beaten them in two weeks, and I'm personally loving how this rivalry is shaping up. The Pittsburgh Riverhounds are in second place in the Atlantic Division, followed by Miami FC, who are fire and are within one point of the leaders and unbeaten after their last five matches. Miami FC's last loss was on June 23rd and was against Birmingham Legion, who are in the Central Division. Hartford Athletic round out the top of the Atlantic Division in fourth place, but have three games in hand compared to those ahead of them in the standings. What an exciting division to watch. Let's go to the Central Division. I mentioned at the top of the program that Phoenix Rising is now tied for first place in the USL. Well, they're tied with Louisville City FC, who lead the Central Division by four points. They have 26 points after 13 matches. Birmingham Legion FC are second in the Central Division with 22 points and are coming off a bye week. FC Tulsa are in third place, followed by OK Energy FC in fourth place. And those two teams clashed this weekend. Number four beat number three, two to one, in an exciting game with some outstanding goals. The teams were tied at one apiece when OKC's Hiroki Kirimoto scored at the death with an incredible mid-air volley that hit the corner of the net and stole the game. Apparently, when those two teams match up, it's called the Black Gold Derby, and their competition is tied for the season. Another exciting rivalry to remind us what an amazing league we're part of. Over to the Mountain Division, where the El Paso Locomotives are full steam ahead after their third win in a row on Saturday, July 17th. They remain unbeaten at home, and their recent 1-0 victory was over the Pacific Division's Las Vegas Lights, who did their best to derail them, but came up short. Rio Grande Valley FC are in second place in the Mountain Division, with the same number of points, 24, but having played two more matches so far this season. RGV's Saturday night win was also against a Pacific Division side, Orange County FC. RGV beat OC 2-0 on the road, and the game started with their first goal coming at the two-minute mark. Ouchie! New Mexico United are in third place in the Mountain Division, and they too prevailed against a team in another division, this time in interconference play with a 2-1 win over Charleston Battery. You know, Charleston Battery, a team in the Atlantic Division that I possibly never mentioned before. Austin Bold are in fourth place in the Mountain Division with 19 points after their win against the Monarchs on July 18th. Finally, the moment you've been waiting for. What do I have to do to get a drum roll around here? The Pacific Division standings. 
Phoenix Rising, those talented lads remain in first place with a whopping 26 points after 12 matches. Orange County FC are in second place with 21 points despite two losses in Week 13. I mentioned their interdivision loss to RGV, but they also lost to San Diego Loyal on Wednesday, July 14th. Speaking of San Diego Loyal, they're still in third place and still in alarmingly good form, unbeaten in nine straight games at this point. Listen up, that streak ends on Saturday, July 24th when Phoenix comes to town. End of. The Las Vegas Lights are in fourth place with 13 points after the same number of games. I think that says more about the bottom four teams than it does about the Lights. Hey, thanks for joining me for another great week of the USL Championship League. Phoenix Rising family, the next game is going to be an exciting one for us. It's on July 24th and it's an away game. We're going to Torero Stadium to take on Landon Donovan's San Diego Loyal. San Diego Loyal are coming off a 10-day rest, with their last game being a home game against Orange County. That was an intense game where they were down to 10 men after a red in the 60th minute, but they came back to win 2-1. I'm sure you remember that the first four games of the season were terrible for San Diego with four straight losses, including an embarrassing 4-1 loss to Phoenix Rising. Well, they've turned that ship around. The team and the performance has changed dramatically as they haven't lost a game since May 22nd. That was an away game for them where they traveled to take on Louisville, another excellent team who are top of the Central Division. San Diego's win rate is 46%, just below half. But if you take out their first four games, their win rate is 67%. Same as Phoenix Rising. You may have heard that the president of the club, Warren Smith, stepped down this week. And I don't know if that's going to impact the team, but I do know that they'll have to find a way to deal with two other losses, both on the field. One of those is their defender, Grant Stoneman, who'll be sitting this game out because of a red in the last game. Stoneman would have been marking Santi Moore, so I'm sure Santi will capitalize on that in a spectacular way. San Diego's other loss is their striker, one of the best players in the league, Miguel Berry. He returned to his home club from which he was on loan. That is, of course, to the reigning MLS champions, Columbus Crew. He'll be with the crew, keeping the attack going until Zardes returns. Zardes is currently lining up for the US men's national team. Danny and Kelly are still with me from earlier, so let's see how they see the game going. Danny, let's start with you. What do you see for this game? This is this is hard to say. It's it's, and uh, the reason it's hard to say is because we know how Rick likes to switch things up, and I think he's just going to want to throw Landon Donovan a curveball. So I have no idea what to expect, or what kind of lineup to expect, what kind of tactics. Um, this this young but very fierce rivalry that we have with San Diego it's 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 a marquee matchup like we circled this match on our calendars now when uh, when when we know that it's coming up so I expect a very structured game from Rick and it's just it's it's gonna be a point in time where he flips the switch like all right all out attack like we let, let, let's peel him out let's tire him out let's establish you know very fundamental football and then let the dogs loose. Kelly, what are your thoughts on that upcoming game? I love the idea of what Danny just said, like, let the dogs out, please. You know, we need that. We need to have them on their back foot. We need to control the pace. It needs to be the full-on assault that we're capable of. I mean, I anticipate Schmidt will be in for flood. I do think Rick values his experience, and I do think against the loyal, that's going to be critical in Rick's mind. And I do think we'll see Egbo, um, in addition to being you know, a goal scorer, and having confidence, he also energizes that front line. He gets them working as a team. So those are two changes that I anticipate from last night's lineup, from Saturday night's lineup. But other than that, you know, Rick's going to have to do his thing. He's the professional. And another point to that is that San Diego has not seen Negbo play. They haven't seen him firsthand, so they don't know what they're dealing with when he's coming off. Do you make it to away games, Danny? 
uh, every once in a while when when you know uh, the uh, distance and calendar permits this is going to be a toss-up that is my mom's birthday weekend i'm gonna try to convince her hey how about going to san diego for your birthday <laughs> you know what you've always wanted we can hit the beach we i'm gonna disappear for about three hours but then after that we can do whatever you want uh so we'll we'll see we'll see what we can do with it what right there yeah bring her to the beach she'd love it absolutely <laughs> okay phoenix rising family i'm gonna leave you with that happy thought thank you so much for coming on the show danny arona Thank you, Kelly McCarthy, and thanks to all of our friends from Union 602, especially thanks to Chris and Sarah Blumberg. If you're traveling to that game in San Diego, safe travels, enjoy the cooler temperatures, enjoy the waves that I'm going to play you out with, enjoy the beach, and enjoy watching our beloved Phoenix Rising take down San Diego Loyal 4-1, just like we did in our first game of the season.